Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Hannah. Now, I have a confession to make. As a pastor, I should be good at remembering names. It would be beneficial that if I were to greet you on some Sunday after you've been here once or twice or 25 times, that I would be able to come up to you and say, hey, John, it's good to see you today. I'm so glad you're here. But I have to be honest, I am not great at always remembering names. In fact, I have had to learn to do certain things in order to remember names. One thing that I'll often do is walk away and quickly in my phone write out the name, hoping that someday I will see that person again and not have to look at my phone to remember their name, but by the simple act of typing out their name, I might be able to remember it. Or sometimes I've walked away and said, Haley, 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 hoping that by saying it over and over and over again, it will fit into my brain. I've loved moving to Australia for the very simple reason that I can go, hey, mate, and everybody seems to be all right with that. And I can kind of skirt by while I try and listen and hope. Over the years, though, I've learned this, that I should just go ahead and ask. If I tend to say, I know we've met, but I can't quite remember your name. Nine times out of ten, I will get this response. That's okay. I don't remember yours. <laughs> now, after I've dealt with the crushing blow to my self-esteem, I'm able to engage with those people again on an honest level where we've admitted to one another we're just not quite that good at remembering each other's names. Names are important to us, though, right? What we're called, how we're seen... We carry the weight of those names with us. If you've had a particularly hard name to pronounce, you know the difficulty of having people say your name wrong over and over and over again. And you either grow indignant about it and saying your name quickly to them, no, it's this, or you just go along. Depends on what your personality is. Luckily, my name's Lee, so I've never had to deal with that. Names are important, and we see that happening in this particular passage. This first encounter with the risen Savior. 
there's something dramatic that takes place when a name is mentioned. Now, it's good for us to kind of have some context of who this Mary Magdalene is. And so in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we have this description given to us. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, this is talking about Jesus, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had even been healed by evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone, and Joanna, the wife of Chures, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. So there's two things that we gather here about Mary Magdalene. One is that she has been released by seven demons. So there were things that were causing her aggravation and despair in her life. And her encounter with Jesus at some point healed her from those things, removed them from her. Now we don't know if that was seven demons or seven is used for complete healing or there's all sorts of things that can play into that. But we know that she had something that she was released from. The second thing that we see is she's beginning to follow Jesus, but not only is she following Jesus, she is one of those who is providing for the means of the disciples and Jesus. So she's a patron, a contributor. She is actively involved in the ministry that Jesus has over these three years by being one who supports it financially, providing the means necessary for Jesus to do what he's doing. Now that's incredible. Because in that time, in that place, it was unusual for women to have the amount of wealth for them to be able to do that. Now, as a side note, let me say this. Church history and in other places have put on Mary Magdalene some other things that aren't accurate. They've been conflated with other Marys and other people that are found in the gospel story. That she's a prostitute or or she's a woman who has done other things. The only thing that we know for sure about Mary Magdalene is this and what we see happening in this story that we're reading. She's at the crucifixion from a distance. We know that from Luke and Mark. We know that she is then either part of a group of women that come on Sunday or she is there by herself on Sunday. Now remember the gospel stories are all about Jesus, but they're told from people with different perspectives. So there are things that are different in each gospel. That doesn't mean it's a contradiction. It just means it's somebody telling the story and God allowing it to be present in his word for us to grasp hold of. So let's think about this for Mary. She's been a supporter of Jesus. She's been released from an affirmity from Jesus. She loves Jesus so much so that she's willing to stand and watch the crucifixion happen which was dangerous because they could have recognized her as a follower of Jesus and taken her in. Now, Passover happens. That's the reason why they get Jesus down and they bury him very quickly. And a group of ladies, or just Mary, recognize that probably the burial hasn't happened in the best way. And so early in the morning on Sunday, she goes. And when she gets there, she sees something is wrong. She recognizes that this stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb is now rolled away and she peeks in her worst fears being confirmed that someone had taken Jesus. 
There are two men sitting there, angels, and they ask her, what are you looking for? And very quickly, in her tears, she says, I'm looking for my Lord, meaning the one that I'm following, the one that I'm longing to see, the one that I'm wanting to be with, because he's changed my life. My allegiance is towards him. And yet again, there's nothing there. She turns around and she sees another figure. This other man standing there, who she presumes to be a gardener. Now, another quick aside. How cool is it that maybe Jesus was doing something that would make her think that? That, she, that Jesus, in his resurrectedness, was tending to the earth. Now, it doesn't say that in there. It could just be that she thought to herself, it's early in the morning, the only other person who would be in the garden is the gardener. But it's kind of cool to think about that maybe he was actually doing something that would make her think, oh, it's the gardener. And he says, what, what's wrong? She says, that if you've taken him, bit of irony there, if you've taken him, tell me and I'll come and get him. He says, woman, when he first addresses her, woman, what are you looking for? But then Jesus says, Mary. And it's at that moment that when Jesus says Mary and Mary hears her name, that all of a sudden she recognizes and knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that that gardener is not a gardener. That that gardener is in fact Jesus, the risen one. That Jesus is standing there and has just said her name. And if you think about it, as one who's been delivered, as one who's been supporting, as one who's been following, as one who is there early in the morning to make sure Jesus is given the respect that he deserves as her Lord, when she hears her name and recognizes that it is Jesus, she does what? She falls to the ground and grabs a hold of him. We know that because the Greek there is a word that means has already taken hold and he's saying, stop doing that. Not that she says, you're Jesus, and he goes, don't touch me. <laughs> it's too late. See, it's too late because as soon as she hears Jesus say her name, her whole instinct is to get as close as possible to her Savior. And so she jumps and grabs hold of Jesus. And he says, whoa, whoa, not yet. Not yet. And then he says to her, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now go and tell the others. Go and tell the disciples. I think this encounter with the resurrected Jesus is a good reminder for us that we have a name. We have a name that we might not even know yet. Revelation, just to jump back into that real quickly, reminds us into the church in Pergium that he is going to give us a white stone that has a name that he has given to us. That when Jesus says Mary, it's as if he is also saying to us at the very same time, our name, the name that Jesus has for you. And he's calling it out to you, saying it. And there's something that happens when we hear that name. 
the first thing that happens is we recognize who Jesus is. When Jesus says your name, you can't help but know who Jesus is. You may be right now living in a place where you think Jesus is the gardener. You may be right now thinking that he's a good guy. He's here doing good work. That he's been a great teacher. But when Jesus says your name, you can't help but recognize him as the Savior. Let me say this, that for some of you, his name that he has for you is different than the name that you have for yourself. You might have the name of unloved. You might have the name of broken. You might have the name of downtrodden. You might have the name of failure. But Jesus' name for you is beloved. Jesus' name for you is overcomer. Jesus' name for you is my son and daughter. And so you might be hearing your name, but it's going against the name that you think you have. And so I want to challenge you to listen closely and not confuse the gardener, Jesus, for the gardener. The second thing that we see happening here is I believe that Mary at that moment in hearing her name and recognizing that Jesus is Jesus, she also begins to recognize who she is. You see, at that point, she sees herself as a mourner as someone who has lost her Lord, the person that she's supposed to follow. But when Jesus says her name, she moves from being a mourner to a celebrator. What better way to celebrate but to grab a hold of your Lord? Right? She moves from being one who is grieving to one who is proclaiming. We know that because Jesus gives her a task. And at that point, Mary goes from being that one who had been relieved and, and broken free from demons, the one who has been a supporter of Jesus' ministry, to the one who was mourning the death, to the one who knows that I am created by God for the purpose of celebrating and proclaiming Him. That there's nothing else in my life that I should do but that. That He is calling me. Towards that. And so as you hear your name, you will recognize who you are. Not just seeing Jesus as the Savior, the Lord, the one who has come to set you free and restore relationship with God and yourself and all others in the very place that you live, but in fact, you will know who you are. That all these things that we add to give us identity, these things that we hold on to and grasp to be the things that, that make us known, fade away. And what's left is what Jesus calls us. His beloved. His brothers and sisters, God's sons and daughters. But more than that, what we see Jesus do here for Mary, which is amazing, is he makes her the first evangelist. Mary is given the beautiful task to go tell the men who are caught up in fear that Jesus is risen. That he is alive. He says 
go and tell the disciples. Now, scholars, far removed, will say one of the reasons why this is done is because it would be unheard of for a woman to be those that would proclaim something like this. So we have to believe this story is true because nobody in their right mind who was making up a lie would make the woman be the one that would proclaim. Okay. She was there. She was there. So she was chosen. It is on us to be seeking after, being pulled towards Jesus. Our efforts aren't going to get us there, but they're the things that show that our heart is ready to hear. And in doing that, we're making our way ready to receive so that we can speak it out. What amazing power that Jesus gives to Mary. To be that that is evangelizing, evangelistic to the disciples. And what's the message? My father is your father. My God is your God. To jump back into Revelation, they will be my people and I will be their God. To jump back into Exodus, they will be my people and I will be their God. That in the resurrection of Jesus, in the encounter that Mary has, we see the whole story of God's reckless and steadfast pursuit in his steadfast love for us. That he knows who you are. That he longs for you to know who you are. And that he has given you a job to do. To live as those who proclaim the resurrected Lord. And to remind people that God wants to be their God. And be their Father. Who loves them unendingly. Here's the great thing about Jesus. When he encounters you, he doesn't go, hey, buddy. (laughs) Because Jesus doesn't forget. And there is nothing that will separate you from his love for you. He draws you in and today hear him say your name. Let me pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Mary. Thank you for her strength to tell the other men, those men there, that that you were risen Thank you for knowing who we are completely. Let us receive that so that we can move into our truth reality, which is your sons and daughters. God, if there's anything that's, from you, that's not from you today, let it burn up. But if it is from you, let it take root in our hearts and bring glory and honor to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you stand up and let's respond by singing.